Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus. It is episode 362, coming out on a Thursday, the 23rd of February, 2023. And today's topic is national divorce. But before we get into that, let me just remind you, please like, share, subscribe, and follow this program. If you're particularly enthusiastic about what you've heard or you found it informative, educational, or just plain fun, do me a favor, comment and rate the show. Here we go. Uh, The highlights. Tom Woods wrote a book. (laughs) Daniel Miller's work. Glenn Beck spoke on it. And reasons... (laughs) And a repeat back to three options as I understand them. So here we go. All right. So National Divorce. Yes, that is the title of a book, an ebook, mind you, that Tom Woods wrote. So I strongly recommend you go out of your way, go get a copy of this book. It's very easy to find online. All Tom asks for is you to sign up for his email list. And he will provide you the free book. In fairness, most of the work in that ebook are transcripts of conversations he's had with people talking about the concept of a national divorce. Oh, and though some of you may not know what the national divorce is, it's a theory or an idea that perhaps if the states or individual states go their own separate way, it is a way to maintain peaceful coexistence. And people will be happier without the additional oppression of their political enemies. So, if you would like further information, stop, pause the show, and go purchase or sign up for The National Divorce uh, by Mr. Thomas E. Woods Jr. Yes, the great Tom Woods. All right, now, now that I've covered that and you've read the book, you know that this has happened before. There is historical precedence for this. And you can separate peacefully and coexist in neighboring countries. There are other ways that it can be done that don't turn out so well. And we would love to avoid that. Bloodshed is to be avoided at all costs. Well, not all costs. Most costs. All right. Then there is the concept that this is Daniel Miller's work. (laughs) Some might say his life work. The guy started in 1996 working on the Texas nationalist movement. In fairness, he's not doing it alone. In fairness, it's not an original idea just to him. In further fairness, uh, we wouldn't have this if there wasn't other people that came alongside and said, hey, that's a good idea. This is also knowing full well there is a Cal exit move, Vermont and New Hampshire are both looked at different ways to separate themselves. And then you've got the whole idea of what's going on in the American readout and now the greater Idaho movement, right? These are all different ways to declare independence or assert more sovereignty and separating from an existing tyrannical situation. Now, What's most interesting is I was listening to some folks over at the Free State Project. They had a series of videos that I watched over this last weekend, and they were talking about creating the Progressive State Project. And now I have to laugh because there's at least 47 states that already meet that criteria. You, You don't have to recruit anybody. 
to go join a progressive state. They already exist. They're everywhere. But I, I think he was being slightly tongue in cheek. But what's interesting is the folks in New Hampshire, some of them just don't seem to enjoy the idea that there have uh, people coming there that are expanding freedom and liberty. It's appalling to them that some people want to be left alone and do their own thing. I got to say, I find that kind of ironic, kind of interesting, but I would love nothing more than for New Hampshire to successfully be run by a bunch of libertarians. I think that would be a unique way to see just what is possible within the auspices of this federal republic, right? That the most amount of sovereignty and liberty both in the same state and what is it that they can do? Now, for those of you out there that are already recoiling at the idea of a libertarian utopia existing in New Hampshire, well, let me assure you that what we're looking to do here in Texas is not all that dissimilar. We would love nothing. Well, and I shouldn't say we, I myself and some of my friends who are, some of us are members of the Texas nationalist movement. Others are not direct members, but we're, let's call it uh, cheerleaders for the movement. And I am a member, but some of my friends are not. So we don't speak for the Texas nationalist movement, but we have high hopes that if we are successful and we get the boot of the federal government off our neck, we might be able to rein in the state government. We might be able to get, oh, I don't know, a re-application of the original Bill of Rights, the Constitution as it was understood at the time of the founding. And Notwithstanding what the Texas Constitution has, it's a pretty good framework in and of itself from which we can improve it. So, as I transitioned now from Tom Woods, Tom Woods writing a book about this, or releasing an ebook, if you will, on this, and Daniel Miller devoting basically his life's work to this idea of a national divorce. Let's transition into Glenn Beck. And that's really the motivation for this episode. Glenn Beck spent a section of his show on Tuesday, and I talked about it briefly in uh, the wrap-up on Wednesday's episode, talking about the idea of a national divorce. And now, I don't know Glenn personally. I I think I may have met him, uh, I guess technically, at an event, but... But he doesn't know me from Adam. I don't know him. I'm not going to put words in his mouth. But my best understanding is he is uh, not opposed to it, but he's not outright supportive of it. He sees value to it, but he's concerned about what happened if it was to be uh, put through. He believes that the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights are all, his words, not mine, divinely inspired. And he thinks that We would be hard-pressed to improve upon that, but he wants to utilize that as a starting point for any new government. I got news. I don't oppose that. I don't dislike that at all. Um, I would go so far as to say is if you lop off everything after the first 11 amendments, or perhaps even the first 10, and start over with just the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, that would be even better still. I don't think we need to have an amendment to allow women to vote since there was nothing that prevented them from voting in the first place. I don't think that any of this stuff that would be, let's call anachronistic to that time and era would be tolerated in today's day and age. So that's not really an issue. 
Um, I do suspect that the idea that you have to own land in order to vote, uh, that's kind of more of a local thing than it was ever in the federal constitution. So again, not really super concerned about that, but I do like the idea of you have to have buy-in before you have a say, right? You have to be a participant before you get to determine the outcome. When I was speaking of this uh, idea of Texas, how would we fund it? Um, it was with my father of all people. We were, he was convinced that a flat tax was the best way to go. And I, and I said, uh, well, how are you going to collect it? Well, you know, you make the employers do it. Well, but that's an unfair burden to the employers, notwithstanding the idea that you're still going to have an entity go in and want to monitor what it is they're doing and stick their nose into the company's books. And I'm not okay with that. Well, there's got to be a better way to do that. Well, yeah, there is. So we, we came up with the idea and I might've brought this up before in a previous episode because, you know, some of this stuff has blended together lately. The idea of just a, to pay to live in an area, to pay to live in the state. And it's a flat tax called the head tax. And the idea being that if you live here, you pay for the privilege of living in the state. As a citizen, you pay to live in that state. And if you live in the county, you pay to live in that county. If you live in the city, you pay to live in that city. And if you use the school district, you pay to use the school district. It's not that hard. It's basically fee for service, only it's the same for everybody. Likewise, you'd have the ability to have a tariff, a small tariff. Again, pretty simple. Basic level here. All this stuff was permissible, allowable, and understood when the Constitution was ratified. So I would put it to you this way. Glenn has a lot of valid concerns of how would you start. But what was most interesting to me is he outlined the reasons why you would have a justification for said national divorce. He talked about the usurpation of power. He talked about the abuse of power. He talked about the disregarding of the constitution. He talked about all this thing, all these things going on and what are we, the people supposed to do about it? At what point can we say this has been enough? At what point do we get to push back? At what point do we say enough is enough and leave? Now I've used this before. And again, I don't claim to own this idea and certainly it's not original to me, but you don't make an abused partner in a marriage stay with the abuser. Likewise, if you were in a state, why would you stay in an abusive relationship with the Federation of States? Why would you not allow for them to go their own way? The idea of national sovereignty, the, uh, the idea of your choice, right? The idea that you are not owned by another entity. This should not be news. This should, you know, this is what spurred the American revolution. This is what spurred the declaration of independence in the first place. When you have these train of abuses, when you, when you have the, all these things going on that you can't adequately push back against without stepping beyond where you're comfortable with, without potentially accepting the idea, or let me phrase it without accepting the idea that you're potentially looking at bloodshed. And again, I've said this many, many times and Glenn actually echoed this in his own show is we don't want bloodshed. We would like to avoid this at all costs. And again, I'm paraphrasing him kind of sort of, that's what I 
took out of his uh, statement. Again, it was over a day ago, so I don't remember the specifics. So I appreciate this is a big deal. You got a guy like Lembeck talking about a forbidden topic. And a topic that's been promulgated by Daniel Miller, who is, you know, working in Texas for uh, since 1996 on this issue and is in some circles persona non grata. And then you've got Tom Woods, who, you know, is this crazy libertarian that, you know, nobody takes seriously, except for millions of people across the country. So I, I got to give him credit. He brought it up. He talked about it. I'm hoping this will be a reoccurring thing. I'm hoping that he, this isn't a one and done. I really would like to see him tease it out because the guy has a lot more access to primary documents, to various background things, and to guests, quite frankly, that I could never, ever hope to get on my show that come and talk about these issues. I would strongly encourage him if somebody could get this word to Glenn, you need to bring Tom Woods on. And while you're at it, you can bring somebody that's against it. It's okay. Bring somebody in that can talk about this. I, I don't know if he had Daniel Miller in or not. I, I, I might have missed that. But these are important topics. This is where we are at in this day and age. It's inevitable that these United States may not be united forever. Hmm? It's inevitable that we're going to go our own way at some point. The question is, do we do it peacefully? The question is, do we do it by our own design and in our own time frame? Or do we fracture and break apart under threat of war or invasion? I'm not enthusiastic about any of that. I, I think that's a, a big problem. So, you know, I've talked about some of the reasons, right? So we have a government that both abuses and overreaches in many, many areas its power, its authority, and then it, quite frankly, ignores its responsibilities and fails in so many areas. It's busy usurping things that it should not have, but failing to do the most basic things in other cases. The federal government has taken control of so many things that they can't possibly take care of it all, yet they won't let anybody else do it. Look at the border if you need an example. Look at the railroad tracks if you need an example. Look at the bridges. Look at so many different things that the federal government has maintained it must control or it must have authority over, yet it fails to do those most basic things. Yet we're supposed to trust them, and I don't. I don't know how you can either. Now, I'm not suggesting, and I don't think anybody suggests that it's going to be an immediate panacea, uh, a um, utopia, if you will, when you get your own independent state. No, not at all. It just means that you've bring the work closer to home. It gives you an opportunity to focus on fixing those issues that are closer to you. It reminds me of the uh, scene in The Patriot. We got Mel, Gip Mel Gibson's character said, well, why would I... Trade one tyrant 3,000 miles away for 3,000 tyrants one mile away? It's a very good question. Why would you? Well, I would imagine that if we're successful, if we do what we want to accomplish, which is to increase liberty and refocus Texas on Texas, we're going to have a greater say in what's happening. And I'm going to throw something else in here just as an aside. I was listening to... Um, Brian McClanahan, and he was talking about how George Washington thought it was ridiculous that one representative was going to represent 40,000 people. 
he thought the number should be 30,000. So even if we were to take 30 to 40,000 people, divide that out at how many representatives we ought to have at the federal level. Now, the counter argument was, is the federal government was only going to do so many things, right? They were going to be very limited in scope and authority. So it really didn't require that much direct representation. And, you know, they were going to be so limited in scope that it wasn't going to be a problem. But perhaps at the state level, right? The independent states, they would want closer representation. They would want to most closely be related to those people. Do we have that in Texas? There's 150 uh, state reps. There's uh, 31 state senators. Do you think that the million people that choose their state senator are adequately represented by their state senator? And I mean, I can love my state senator or the neighboring state senator all I want, but do you really think they're able to represent a million people well? Or how about this, the state house, right? 150? Do you you think that 200,000 people are being properly represented? And that's only if they're equal and adjusted all the way across. And that's just a ballpark figure. It's not accurate. If we translate that to the federal level, I mean, that's a joke. Now, granted, the U.S. senators were supposed to actually work for the state. So you only needed two to go there. But since we threw that out the door... Uh, Perhaps we need to rethink whether or not that was the right choice. Maybe we ought to repeal that amendment. Perhaps we ought to make the U.S. senators work directly for the state that they represent as opposed to the people. The people have the House, and if the House is properly divided up as opposed to having 465, well, I don't know, perhaps we would have 3,000. That would give a much better chance at representation, don't you think? But that's just me. So for those reasons that one, we don't get properly represented and two, we get abused. And then the basic things that they ought to be doing, they don't bother to do. And the things that they don't need to do, but they have seized control of and then fail to do, being they all the while disallowing anybody else to do it, all pile up. They become grounds for termination. And yet we're afraid to talk about it. We're called traitors. We're called seditious. We're called all sorts of other things when we're nothing of the sort. The idea that we want to overthrow our government has never crossed our minds. We want to simply just leave. An individual state is sovereign and ought to be able to determine if they want to continue to be federated with the U.S. federal government. And it is no surprise to me that the vast majority of the people out there have no idea that the northern states, that's right, New England, tried not once but twice to secede and leave the Union, but it was only because of Thomas Jefferson that they didn't leave the first time. I'm sorry, the second time. And the first time, it was only because they got some uh, things that they wanted that they stuck it out. Yet, when they got the power in their hands... They had no problem subjugating the other half of the country. They had no problem forcing their will and what they wanted on everybody else. And nothing has changed. Yankees are going to Yankee. So when when you hear somebody talk about a national divorce, when when you hear about somebody talking about a declaration of independence or going their own way, you ought to consider and remind yourself that they're not wanting to take away what you have in another state. 
They're not wanting to ruin what currently exists. If it's so great, it'll stand on its own. And all you Democrats out there, I'm going to guess there's a few that listen to me. Think about this. If Texas leaves the union, the rest of the union is going to be a Democrat haven. You guys are going to be able to do whatever you want. It's progressive, utopia, united. Why would you care if Texas goes its own way? Now, granted, we might get Oklahoma and Florida to follow suit and perhaps, you know, uh, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, and the eastern parts of Washington, Oregon, they, they may go their own way too. But with what's left, I mean, you guys will have carte blanche. You can do whatever you want. I think what the problem is, is you just don't want anybody else to go do anything. You're the killjoys. You see somebody else having fun or somebody having a free thought and you feel the need to stomp it out. Again, Yankees are going to Yankee. So that really leaves us in a tough spot, right? We, the people, we can see that we don't have a good way forward. And this is my modification of Daniel Miller's three choices. So choice number one. Accept defeat. Just don't even try. Allow for yourself to continue to be abused and accept it and take it. And just that's the way the world is. There's nothing to be gained. Option number two, work to peacefully amend it. Work to remove excess government. Work to separate the state you live in from the oppressive government that is coming from the federal level, from the Yankees, if you will. And option three, go to war over it. Well, uh, option one's out, not going to surrender. Option three is unthinkable at this time. So I'm going to avoid that. So I'm going to stick with option number two. I'm going to work peacefully to do what I can to convince other people out there that we don't have to continue to do what we've been doing and accept the outcome that we've been given. We have an opportunity to utilize this in a peaceful manner through a national divorce. Different people go their different ways. It didn't work out. It was nice while it lasted. This marriage is over. There's no reason for people to stick together that are unhappy. It'll sort itself out. Tom Woods has got a book on it. Go read it. Daniel Miller's written not one, but two different books on this issue. Go read it. And now... Even Glenn Beck has talked about this. And I mean, whether you love Glenn or not, I mean, this is the mainstream that's picking up on this as a real thing. If you want to maintain peace, if you want to have prosperity for different people in the different ways they would define it, why not consider this? Clearly, ruling 300 and 35 or 340 million people from one city on the East Coast where we get mediocre representation at best. And again, I can say my congressman is awesome. Whether or not that's true is irrelevant. If I believe it's true about my congressman, that's one thing. But somebody else may say the exact opposite. Not only that, there's not nearly enough of them to properly represent us. And of course, the Senate, well, the Senate's just a flailing mess. It's just not the way it was ever designed to be. 
We're run like an empire from an imperial city that has no concern about anything that happens outside of that city. Strangely enough, they can barely deal with the city that they're running. So why would we trust them to run 50 states that they have very little vested interest in? Make no mistake, nearly every congressman eventually moves to live in D.C. full time. It's very rare to have one move back home in today's day and age. And you got to ask yourself, why is that? What's to be gained by staying in the imperial city? You know, I once remarked to some friends of mine, if I was ever to go to Europe and I was ever going to travel and see Europe, the one place I would want to go would be Vienna, Austria. And they always look at me, well, why Vienna? Why Austria? What's unique? Well, I mean, look, there's Rome. What's left of it? And, and there's Constantinople, which was once Byzantium, which was, you know, once something special. Now it's called Istanbul. But Vienna was home to the Habsburg dynasty. We're talking about 700 years of imperial reign. If you want to see some really cool stuff, it is my thought, my expectation at least, that Vienna would be the place to see it. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe there's some city in Spain that's better or maybe something in Portugal or heck, even Germany, if there's anything left that hadn't gotten destroyed in uh, World War II or for that matter in Russia. But Vienna escaped most of it both times. I think that'd be pretty interesting. But again, that's an imperial city. Those people couldn't care less about what was going on outside of that Austria-Hungarian empire, right? The Habsburgs were only concerned about the Habsburgs. Why would it be any different that 500 years from now, if Washington, D.C. is still on the map, people are going to go there and go, oh, look at this imperial city. Look at all these things they did here. How did they lose their empire? Just a thought. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like nothing more than for the empire to become a thing of the past. But I would like it to happen peacefully. I would like it to be dismantled at its own pace in an appropriate time and place for each uh, section to go their own way to properly represent their people and to give the best outcome possible. And if Yankees still want a Yankee, there's plenty of space up in Yankee Dumb for them to do that. But as for me and my house, we like Texas just the way it could be. And... I think I've done enough on the national divorce for one day. If you can get, uh, what do you call it? Um, past episodes, right? Of the Glenn Beck show. I strongly recommend you go dig up the content from the 22nd of February on Glenn Beck's program, where he talks about the national divorce. It was inspiring. That's why I did this episode. I mean, uh, I, I like the guy. I, I, I think his heart's in the right place. And I, I am inspired by the fact that somebody of his stature is now investigating and talking about this issue that is very important. Thank you and have a good night. And I'll see you on the other side.